Good morning, afternoon or evening everybody and welcome to Pangolin, the conservation podcast. The show dedicated to exploring and amplifying the world's underappreciated conservation stories. The stories that inspire me, and I hope will inspire you too. I'm your host Jack Baker and today I'm joined by Tash Hatcher, the founder and artist behind Hatchling Makes, an animal-focused online stationery store which donates a portion of its profits to conservation charities. She's here to talk about her incredible artwork, her journey into the world of conservation, and how anyone with a passion can be a conservationist. Not just the sciencey minds, artists, actors, authors, podcasters, anyone can be involved. We also talk about why she chooses to focus her artwork on the oddballs of the animal kingdom, her favourite Australian animals, and big stompy birds. Fans of secretary birds, emus, cassowaries and moas, get ready, this one is for you. (laughs) Now, without further ado, let's get started. And welcome back to the show. I am now joined by Tash Hatcher, an animal artist who some of you may know better as Hatchling Makes. She is all over Instagram. That's where I found you and follow you and do all these things. Um, She has her own shop where she sells pins and all sorts of kind of accessories and I'm holding a pen and I can't think of the word stationery uh, and all sorts of things um, to support conservation charities and so she's here today to tell us all about her work and how as someone who someone who supports conservation in a different way how anyone can be involved in conservation anyone who's got a passion can use that for the good of conservation so thank you so much for joining me today Tash. Thank you so much for having me I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. It's it's great to have you on. And yes, it's nice to, I, I feel like sometimes when you see people on Instagram and these things, you kind of, you get to know them in a way through the art and the posts that they put up, but it'll be nice to actually get to know you through a chat as well. So yes, thanks exactly. so much. Meeting somebody sort of, and actually talking to them feels so different than actually just knowing them through their social media. So this is so nice because I followed you for a while as well. And I've listened to your podcast before. And so, it, you know, it's, it's a, a great way to actually finally meet you. <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm I'm more than just the 140 characters that we put on Twitter or whatever it is that we work out. Um so yeah, that's that's fantastic. I guess I I we're kind of slightly familiar with each other, but for listeners, I think my first question I always like to ask is could could you introduce yourself to them? What should they know about you to get us started? Oh, great. Um yeah, so I'm Tash and I'm a self uh taught animal artist. Um, I've been running my small business, uh, which is Hatchling Makes, uh, since 2017. Uh, so just celebrated five years, which is amazing. And um, since 2018, I have been fundraising for wildlife conservation through my business. So I donate 10% of all my sales, both online and in person. Um, and that's basically me in a nutshell. I've, um, I'm a lifelong animal lover. Um, I've loved animals genuinely I think all my life I used to drive my family to the zoo all the time as a child and I still do whenever my husband and I go on holiday if there's a zoo nearby he knows that you know one day is going to be dedicated at the zoo or the aquarium or whatever animal attraction there's going to be um and I think that's a lot of that's down to the fact that my parents and my mum's family who live in Australia um really encourage that love of animals and love of learning and me from as soon as I could walk, as soon as I could talk. So, yeah, lifelong animal lover, animal botherer, as my uh, friend Victoria calls them. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think that is exactly the same as me. That's like, as I, when I was young, I think my mum brought it upon herself because she, like, got all the memberships from the zoo when we were really young and was like, well, just take them there in the buggy to, like, show them around. And then as we grew up, it kind of turned from her using it as a way to, like, relax me and take me out and teach me things to me dragging her around. So, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. 
Um, Absolutely. And I think sometimes my parents, like as I got older, because obviously I don't live in Australia. And so whenever we used to go down, um, we always it's it's a rule now in in my family that if you take me to Australia and if you take me to see family, we will go to Taronga Zoo and we will (laughs) go to the Sea Life uh, Sydney Aquarium. And I remember one particular holiday and I think we were only there for a couple of weeks. We were sort of flying through and just dropped in to visit family. And I think we went to the zoo twice and we went to the aquarium three times. And I think by the end of it, my parents were like, please no more. <laughs> you're, you're having to buy annual memberships for a two day trip to justify the price of tickets. That's the... exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's fantastic. And where is it like you've now got me because I've I also run a zoo review podcast. I now have to ask, what's your like local zoo? What's your favorite local zoo that's near you now? I need to oh. know. Gosh, I love, actually, I've just recently been to the Battersea Children's Zoo Mm -hmm. for the first time, um, which was so lovely and actually much, much bigger than it appears to be on any of their social media and websites. Mm -hmm. And um, that was, I had some of the most bizarre animals, like animals that you wouldn't have expected to see in a children's zoo. You kind of think children's Mm -hmm. zoo and you think like chickens and, you know, goats and you know horses and stuff to pet and I walked in and the first thing I saw were wallabies and I was like oh okay (laughs) we're starting off strong and you round the corner and there's like a nine-banded armadillo and I was like oh so that's (laughs) fantastic a really really great zoo and um I love Chester Zoo Mm -hmm. such a special zoo um and I know that you've just recently done like a a re-zoo episode Mm -hmm. on that um but I think that's fantastic. Um, such, such a great zoo. Um, and I love uh, London Zoo, you know, the classic. Um, I think they do such amazing work as well. And I mean, I it's like asking me to pick a favourite child to pick a favorite. <laughs> Yeah, this is, I'm the same. Whenever people ask me, it's, you'll get a different answer depending on the day, depending on the time of day, depending on the mood I'm in, depending on what animal I've just seen on social media, depending on whatever it is. It'll be, yeah. So exactly, I, exactly. Yes, I, I'm planning on coming back down to Chester later this year. I'm very excited. But if I'm down that way, I might have to just nip by Battersea, Battersea Children's Zoo and have a Battersea look. Battersea Children's um, Zoo interesting interesting really really great i mean but if i had to choose my favorite zoo of all time it has to be taronga zoo in sydney australia it is absolutely my most favorite zoo in the world um they do again incredible work and it's giant Mm. and massive and if you let me stay there i would happily stay there for a two-week holiday if i could you know (laughs) (laughs) that's yep this is my thing is like when i go to a new one especially where i'm like i need to spend time every and every little bit it becomes a problem because you get around the first like section and you're like oh no it's lunchtime now and i've only seen three animals like <laughs> uh, yes i've only been to one exhibit what's going on mm-hmm. how did where did those t- where did that time go and then all your friends and family around about you like you've wasted all that time because you wouldn't move when we asked you to yeah <laughs> no yeah that's that's perfect and i think that's before we get too off track I feel like this is a whole other episode this is not what I intended on asking but it's a fantastic it's a good icebreaker question I feel like you like yeah and I'm gonna you brought them up so I'm gonna blame any type like anyone who brings up zoos around me it's their fault because they they know I'm gonna ask they should know I'm gonna ask um no that was a fantastic little interesting segue but you mentioned in your introduction what we're kind of here to talk a lot a little bit more about is uh is Hatchling Makes and your art and and the website and everything you do there as well um and you gave it a a bit of an introduction there with kind of you talked about how it kind of you started in 2017 I, yeah. I was listening 2017 um, and all that sort of um you were self-taught and I wondered how do you go about kind of st- if you're self-taught what how do you go about starting something like that where where does the confidence come from to think this is how I want to support conservation this is I'm going to set up this shop where does that all come from where does that idea Oh, gosh, it was. um, So I didn't set out to start off uh, an online store at all. Um, What happened was I I left my previous career in theatre, which I had been doing for 12 years. And um, I kind of went, well, what am I going to do next? And I had been self-employed in theatre before. So I sort of knew the freelance um, lifestyle and how that worked. And so I kind of went, well, I wonder if I could make it on my own. And and originally, I was um, thinking it was around Christmas time that I left my last job. And I thought, oh, I'll make candles because it was that kind of Christmassy, you know, everyone loves candle Christmas. Mm -hmm. And um, that didn't work out. 
Um, there's a lot more candle making than I had ever anticipated possible. Um, and I started drawing and, and it's just something, drawing is one of those things where, um, and all artists say it, and I always think, gosh, it's such a cliche when you hear it, but it's drawing's just something I've done all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually when I was very, very young, um, when I was, a, when I was properly a child and sort of in kindergarten and drawing horses and things like that, mm-hmm. I used to draw my horses totally different to how all the other kids drew horses. Um, so how kids normally draw like really square blocky shapes, I would be doing like really curved legs and sort of faces and things like that. And my teacher at the time said to my mother, oh, you want to encourage this in her because she has the makings to be an artist. And I had no idea, you know, I, I don't remember that ever happening, but mm-hmm. some, somewhere between the ages of six to 31, <laughs> <laughs> I finally got onto that track that my teacher from all those years ago finally, mm-hmm. finally said that I, I might be good at. And um, I started off the small business. I actually started off just sharing my art online. Yeah, And I had a couple of people ask me if I was going to be selling some pieces. So I looked into opening an Etsy store um, and I did. And I sold, I think, two. At the time I was doing embroidery. Um, mm. So it was very different. My shop's gone through very, very different reiterations through the years. And um, and I made a couple of sales on my first day and I kind of went, well, I could do this. I, this is something that I could, I could actually do. And um, like I said, I'm totally self-taught. I'm not a business person. I'm not an illustrator by, you know, I've not got the diploma or anything that says I went to art school, but I know, (laughs) I know a little bit about animals and I can draw them a little bit and uh, it brings me a little bit of joy. And I think it brings a lot of people a little bit of joy. So Mm -hmm. that's why I decided to do. (laughs) (laughs) And that's uh, in the grand scheme, like, I suppose at that point you could have chosen to draw or create anything. What made you want to do animals? What was it that, was it this, I suppose this love that you've always had and these two things all just mushing together and going, this is what I'm going to do. Is that? I think that's kind of it. Like I, I, whenever I used to draw anyways, I always used to draw animals. I always used to draw Mm -hmm. like little bunnies or, you know, animals have always been, um, part of my life in some way, you know, even at my, even at my wedding, I folded, uh, a hundred, uh, a thousand, sorry, a thousand and one origami cranes, which is, uh, for my wedding. (laughs) Yeah. That was the look that my husband gave me when I said that I was going to be doing it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, they've, they've always been. I always kind of feel like animals have been there at like important points in my life, and and mm-hmm. um, they're just something that I sort of default to because I love them so much. You know, and drawing a little robin on scraps of paper, and and I used to do that when I was behind the tills at in in the theater. I used to just scribble scribble out little animals on scraps of till roll and leave them there for the person on the next shift to find. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. That's really like, oh, I'm, I can imagine now they're like, they're going to sell those till rolls now. That's what it'll be. They'll have saved them and go, oh, she's getting whatever she's getting from pin badges. I'm going to sell this now. It's clearly high quality goods. I imagine, I imagine they've all been thrown away by now. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And I suppose for the listeners, it might be helpful. I was thinking about this while you were chatting there, like to describe your, because the way I would describe it, looking at it from an outsider's perspective would be kind of something like a, like it's accurate to the animal, but it's cartoonish in a way that's like charming, but not so cartoonish that you can't tell what it is. It's like, it's, yeah. a, it's an accurate cartoony interpretation of an animal. How would you describe your, your style of? I think that's art? pretty accurate, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I, I try very hard to, um, make the animals look like the animals. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I think that's really important for um, my audience, particularly because, and I know you want to touch on this a little bit later, but because particularly because I draw a lot of unusual and slightly more obscure animals, I want to make sure mm-hmm. they look like the actual animal um, so that when mm-hmm. people go on to go and try and find them, you know, if they go and internet search them later, they're not trying to compare my image to something that looks, you know, totally different and has you know, mm-hmm. scales and, you know, tusks in different places or things like that. Um, but I take a lot of my inspiration from, I'm a big cartoon lover. I love that kind of graphical style. Um, and so I take a lot of that kind of inspiration from things like The Simpsons and Futurama and that kind of like very blocky color. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, again, that's just something that I uh, really sort of enjoy. And my style has evolved drastically over the years. 
And um, it's just kind of like settled now into this um, like little bit cartoony. Um, and it's it appeals a lot to kids, which I quite like because I love being able to tell kids and parents about new animals that they might not have discovered yet. And, uh, you know, sort of encourage that love of learning for the next generation as well. Mm-hmm. That's yes, and it's but it's it's not so cartoonish that it would only appear to appeal to kids. It's fallen right in that really good niche where, like, I feel like anyone can look at it and the bright colors and the blockiness and things. It's like, it's it's very like visually aesthetically pleasing to the eye of like yeah. I just it's 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 this is my as part of my degree during my undergrad I did a module in aesthetics. So sometimes okay. I feel like I can talk about aesthetics, but really I don't know anything I'm talking about. But from personal looking at it, I find it very aesthetically pleasing. And oh, like it's, <laughs> it's such a weird thing for me to to for me to describe because uh-huh. like you said, it appeals to it appeals to kids, but it appeals to adults and it 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 sort of has that wide range. And I, I didn't it just kind of evolved that way, but I'll be selling at a market and I'll be selling to a mother and her children and they'll be picking out their favorite animal stickers. And then the next thing I know, I'll have somebody coming over to me and they'll say, oh, I really love that you do animal stickers for adults. And, you know, it's, it's totally, totally perceptional. You know, it completely depends on the person and, and how you perceive it. But mm-hmm. I love that my art has that sort of wide range that it appeals to so many people. And it's not just, mm-hmm. you know, art for kids or art for adults it just kind of encompasses it all because I think animals are for everyone and I think wildlife should be and I think we all should encourage and appreciate that Mm -hmm. yeah that's fantastic that's yeah the perfect answer you're giving perfect soundbite answers which I'm like that's brilliant that's you've clearly either done this before or a natural of like (laughs) soundbite answers that's like perfect um but it actually and it actually leads perfectly onto the next question I was going to ask you which was kind of like we've talked about how it makes people from young to old happy and it engages them and it makes them kind of think about animals but there's also thinking behind it in that if they buy and they support you and support kind of what you're doing and are pulled in by the artwork they are then in turn supporting animals themselves because you donate 10 percent of your proceeds to animal charities i think i looked on the website just before we were on the call um and for this month you're donating to the rspb and then so yes how did you get this kind of idea to take the business and not just make it kind of a business that sells animal stuff but also supports animals at the same time where did that come from so i i can't remember exactly who suggested it um i can't remember if it was a family member or if it was a follower on social media but it was way back in 2018 and i did this project and it's called the 100 day project and i decided that i was going to embroider a hundred different endangered animals um, for this project. So it was a hundred days and I was going to embroider a different animal a day. Just the outlines, nothing like fancy, no shadings or anything like that. I was trying to keep it really simple for me. I was going to say, um, your hands would have been aching by the end of the hundred days if you tried to do all of that. I remember going to market and like frantically stitching as I was talking to people because I had to do that day's animal. <laughs> it was a great icebreaker. And there was a lot of people who were like, oh, what animal are you stitching? Um, and a lot of that. So part of that is I personally learned a lot about endangered animals that I had no idea existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, back in 2018, people weren't really talking about animals like pangolins. They were just kind of coming up. I remember that one specifically because I kind of just, that was when I fell in love with pangolins. And I remember posting that particular image on social media. And I remember people being like, oh my goodness, what is this animal? It's so cute. I love it mm-hmm. so much. And I, I did in every single caption, I did a little bit about the animal and whether or not it was endangered and why it was endangered and things like that. You know, just mm-hmm. from researching on social on on the Internet, you know, trying to glean as much information as I could. And throughout the course of this project, I realized that actually people really love learning about these, you know, endangered animals. And mm-hmm. again, I can't remember if it was a family member or if it was a follower. But when I said that I was going to sell them, they asked me if I was going to be donating any of the proceeds to uh, wildlife conservation. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, well, that's a great idea. So I decided I was going to donate 20% of every sale from that collection to WWF. And after a couple of months of doing that, um, once I finally got the collection up online and, and sales started coming in, I sort of realized that actually I could be doing so much more. I could be donating 10% of all my sales across the board and be making significant um, contributions to these wildlife organizations. Um, And then, of course, COVID happened. 
Uh, and, you know, for, for these organizations, a lot of the personal donations that they got dried up because people were um, unsure what their money situation was going to be like, or they, you know, were on furlough or they lost their jobs and, and things like that. And so I know from talking to some of the, the conservation organizations, they, they were saying like work like mine really helped them to continue on in that sort of really difficult 2020 year because they weren't getting as much from their other as much funds from other avenues where they would normally be fundraising and they couldn't put on like you know the extravagant events that they normally could and things like that so it it kind of developed into this thing where I went you know what I could do some real good with my business here and decided to go for it um Mm -hmm. that was it really (laughs) that's it's fantastic and I think especially with the kind of dual the kind of twin pronged attack of kind of like you've got the educational aspect in that even if someone doesn't end up buying something they've still seen the post and they've got the educational value from that and then if they do go ahead and buy something if they're that if they're really inspired and they see something they really love they then got the the monetary donation and then they also it's almost actually i'm wrong it's a three almost a three-step thing because then when they wear the badge or they have the stationery in front of them at a desk and someone asks them what is it they then do further education so it's like there's so many levels to what seems like a simple kind of idea of like oh we sell things to raise money there's so many more things going on around that that I think make it such a strong strong idea Um, absolutely and I think I think you hit the nail right on the head there I mean I had a woman come up to me at a market recently and I sell a um a sea angel enamel pen and she had no idea what it was. And I don't say what the animals are on the cards, um, mostly because th- then I would have like way too many cards <laughs> to put all the pins on. Um, so I just explain, you know, as people come up to me, I explain, oh, this is a real animal. And I, I usually have uh, a Google search up on my phone sort of ready so that I can be like, look, this is what it actually looks like and, you know, have that conversation. And I remember she was there with a friend and her friend was trying to decide if she liked penguins or tigers more. And I was having this conversation with this other girl about sea angels. And it was a couple of minutes, if that. And um, she was, after that conversation, she went, okay, I'm going to buy a pin. And I went, oh, okay, great. You know, fantastic. But now I think to myself, well, you know, if she goes out, she had no idea what that animal was before we had this conversation. She just saw it and went, oh, what's that? And I told her what it was and um now she's going to go and she's going to wear it and people are going to ask her the same question and she's going to be able to say oh it's a sea angel you know and Mm -hmm. because I bought this pin I supported this charity at this time because I changed the conservation organizations that I fundraise for I fundraise for one for two months and then I swapped to a different one um and I have about 12 or 14 charities which I sort of rotate through just because I don't want to take too many on because otherwise uh, it doesn't help them as much. I like to be able to go back. So I'll fundraise for like uh, RSPB and then I'll fundraise for them again in like six months time because that sort of repeated donations really help with their fundraising, uh, really help with their research rather. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, a, it's a lovely feeling to know that somebody's out there wearing my pin and might go on to be like, oh, look, by buying this, I helped, you know, save the whales. <laughs> That's yeah, it's it's fantastic. And now, you know, you've teed me up to ask because I feel like the listeners are going to need to know because there might be someone out there. What is a sea angel? You have um, to... <laughs> this is where all your science listeners are going to be like, who is this person? Because she has no idea about animals. So a sea angel is a it's a, a type of a sea slug, basically, which lives um, in the deep ocean. And it swims with these like little, they're like butterfly appendages. Um, And they're just the most beautiful, also slightly horrifying. I won't lie. If you go, if you deep dive into the research in them, I'm not going to be held responsible for anything that you may find. (laughs) (laughs) But they're, they're just, you know, these most beautiful little creatures. And um, actually people will probably know them best from Animal Crossing because they were in the last Animal Crossing game, although they were mislabeled as sea butterflies. I I didn't even clock that. And I played, I think, during lockdown, I am, I, I'm unashamed to say I've stopped playing it now and I need to go back because my poor islanders are going to be starving and decrepit and well, all the houses will have fallen down. They're going to be very upset. But it's I, I think I played over about 300 hours of that game within the first few months of lockdown. So And I did not clock that. So that's actually... Hmm, Animal Crossing. What's going on there? 
if you're listening, Nintendo. I, I, I want, I'm pretty sure, I'm like 99% sure that they're mislabeled. If they're not mislabeled in the current game, they were definitely mislabeled in a previous game. But yeah, just the cutest little, mm-hmm. cutest little sort of bioluminescent sea slicks, swimming mm-hmm. sea slicks. I mean, yeah, and and you can always um, Google uh, like picture, or what I'll do is, listeners, I'll put the links to all of Tasha's social media, so you can go and look at her interpretation of a sea angel, and then you can get your kind of see the kind of real thing, and then the artistic interpretation, and then you'll get a full perspective of both science and the art style and it'll wrap up everything we've been talking about so far you'll then get a proper idea of everything um no that's fantastic and um i guess i was about to ask about some of the other you you often pick these kind of stranger animals to kind of do your your artwork about but i think what is is maybe good to mention at this point is kind of like and just to highlight for everyone is that we because what we wanted to what I wanted to kind of bring up a couple of times is that anyone can be involved in art. And what you mentioned in your previous answer really got me thinking about that in that you don't have to be a really sciencey, heavy science person to be involved in conservation. You can do all of the stuff we've just discussed without necessarily reading thousands of academic papers. You can still raise awareness. You can still kind of do all this sort of, yeah, conservation work without having to stress about oh, I've, I've not got a PhD in this or I've not got a master's in that. You can just use whatever you're good at to to put yourself out there and help raise awareness. I think that's fantastic. And I think that's a great barrier as well to conservation. I think people see conservation and they think of it as like this big job. They think of it like being a web developer. I work in conservation, Mm -hmm. like I work in, you know, engineering or I'm an architect and and they Mm -hmm. feel like they need to have the qualifications in order to be able to do that. But actually conservation can be as simple as starting at home and, you know, planting bee-friendly flowers and having a pollinator-friendly garden or volunteering i know that rspb specifically um do have volunteering opportunities and they look for people who've got different skills who've got like web skills so that to help them like collate the data that they that they gain from their research um Mm -hmm. or you know even just uh going out and selling the pin badges Mm -hmm. in your local community really really helps them and and it's all these little things that that really help these organizations to be able to fund the research which they do um it's not just uh you know and like i said i am probably the furthest away from a sciencey person that you could probably imagine i'm fairly certain that i failed science in high school um you know i am i am not you know in any way shape or form that way minded i'm very artistically minded so Mm -hmm. but you know, anybody can get involved and you can you can get involved from your home, from your office. And I would really encourage everyone to get involved because it, it, we are now at this point in the world where we need to be doing these things and saving the biodiversity that we've lost to be able to continue, you know, for the human race to just be able to continue on. And I think it's such an important thing. And I see it a lot with parents and small kids. And I think that's fantastic. You know, getting kids involved in these um things where like you go to the wetland center and you volunteer and you clean up and things like that but I find a lot of people stop doing that once they become older and I feel like you know if you've got a weekend you're free and you've got nothing to do and you see that your local wetland center or your local park are doing a cleanup you know go and help out because that all helps the bigger picture of conservation Mm -hmm. and that's yeah it also that kind of relates back to one of the other answers you gave when you said about how someone came up and said I love how you make animal products for adults and it's like well really i mean all animal things and all nature things are for everyone it's nature is one of few things that doesn't have an age barrier of like it's not there are of course there are certain things that are like certain books that are targeted at younger kids and there's certain things but nature as a whole and as a concept it's not like a tv show that's only aimed at adults nature is so much more than that it can be for anyone and everything and it's yeah i think yeah, we've somehow managed to wrap that up very, that bring all these ideas in very nicely so far. Helping <laughs> the world, writing the world, one, 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 uh, one beach pickup at a time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, and yeah, it, when you do it, even doesn't, you don't even have to do it by yourself, do it with friends, do it multi-generationally, all these things brings, think, brings people together. And I um, think, Circling back on what you just said about how people think, you know, I do, uh, people do come up to me all the time and go, oh my goodness, you know, you make 
badges, you know, of animals for adults. I never see this. And I think that's such an important thing. And I mean, I, I know I'm not the only artist who does animal uh, art and fundraisers for conservation, but mm. there's not a lot of us, to be honest. And mm. so, you know, being able to give these people that, I think also it's a little bit of childlike wonder. We all need a little bit of that childlike wonder back in our lives. And what better way to do that than to revisit animals, which, I mean, everyone has a favorite animal. It's mm -hmm. like having a favorite color. Everybody always has a favorite animal. And, you know, I think we should embrace that. I think we should say, you know, yeah, my favorite animal is a manatee. And, and be proud of that. And, you know, go out and do whatever you can to save the manatees, if that's what your favorite animal is, because they need our help. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's a good icebreaker, I suppose. What's your favorite animal? Get it out of the way nice and early. Yeah. Um, but linking, actually, perfect segue, linking into my next question, we were. I was going to ask you about what you often create kind of like unusual animal art about kind of things like the sea angels, um, pangolins. I think you, your, one of your recent pins was a secretary bird. So yeah. like all of these kind of animals that are brilliant and extremely charismatic once you know about them but people don't know about them so you all, you pick these kind of weird things that that i think are charming anyway that people need to know more about why is why is it what what appeals to you about these stranger animals what makes you want to to focus on them a little bit i think there's just something about you know, like you said, they are so charming. And then there's so many animals in the world. I mean, I could draw a different animal every day from the, you know, the red list, and I would be drawing for years. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. there's so many different animals. And I think people, as we grow older, and as we become adults, we sort of forget that there's more to endangered animals than just tigers and you know, lions and the big cats and whales and things like that. And I, when, when I did my um, hundred day project, when I was learning about endangered animals, I was discovering all these animals that I had no idea even existed. I mean, before 2018, I had no idea what a pangolin, what a pangolin was, um, you know, and I was considered myself to be quite um, an animal lover. And I considered myself to be quite savvy in, in sort of what animals were endangered and were not. And I kind of realized that these animals need a moment in the spotlight too. And, and you know what, it's a little bit like um, Pokemon or Animal Crossing, you know, even though there is like that one Pokemon character or Animal Crossing character that you think nobody talks about them, nobody even knows that they exist, mm -hmm. there is still a fan base for that. You know, there are people who absolutely adore that animal. And when I did the secretary bird pin, um, I had people commenting and going, oh my gosh, you do a secretary bird. I love them. <laughs> and they were so excited because they don't see this kind of art very often. They don't mm -hmm. get secretary bird merch. Whereas, you know, you go to a go to a zoo and they will have tigers plastered on every single thing that you possibly mm -hmm. can. Um, but emus, not so much. Um, and I just feel like they deserve a moment in the spotlight. And they're so incredible. They're such incredible animals. And mm -hmm. I mean, I I have a list of unusual animals that I adore um, that I I just think that they need to be. And also, if people don't know that these animals exist, they're not going to want to work towards conserving them. People mm -hmm. want to help those animals that they know about. So people like to help the tigers and they like to save the whales because they know about those animals because so many documentaries have been done about them. So many, you know, uh, articles in mainstream media have been made about them that they're so well known but these animals deserve just as much love and they need just as much attention and some of them are are really in danger of becoming extinct very very soon if we don't do anything about it and they are you know evolutionary completely distinct like the vaquita dolphin um, and if we don't raise awareness for them then we're going to lose this incredible animal from the world mm -hmm. that's yeah and it's 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 one of those things that it's quite it's it's only when it, it it seems to be people and humans don't realize that something's important until either it's gone or they get shown it yeah. so we need to make sure and go for option number two we show them it show them everything and go look what we're poised to lose or not be able to live in a world with and not be able to appreciate and aside from that we're going to take away something that inherit has in my mind, inherently has a right to exist. Like it, 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 it's mad. It's, it's, yeah. And so I think it's nice that you pick these things, especially for people who don't know. A secretary bird is like this. 
it's hard to describe. It's a long. It's it's a bird with long legs. Almost looks kind of eagerly, but with long legs and yeah. these feathers I'm sticking sure. out of its head. Yes, it's it's a bizarre bizarre creature. But again, if you're following uh, all of uh, Tasha's social media, you'll you'll have seen a picture of her interpretation, and you'll know exactly what it looks like. So go and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but no, that's and I'm I sorry. think you're right. no, that's all right. I think you're right that like people need to be shown it. And I think pangolin is a perfect example of that. Um, You know, again, back in 2018, I remember researching pangolins when I found out when I was doing this project and I was going to draw a pangolin and then embroider it. And I was trying to find out more about pangolins and I was, you know, I was finding a little bit, but you know, I was kind of getting a little bit stuck here and there. Um, And then sort of towards the later end of that year, I don't know what happened. I think some article must have come out or uh, a documentary must have come out. But all of a sudden, I started getting sent from my followers all these articles about pangolins. Um, and that's something I love. I I get beans. I get sent, you know, unusual animals from my followers all the time. They see things and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I thought you'd like this." And I'd be like, "Yes, yes, I do." Mm-hmm. But I think the penguin's a great example in that, like, once people started being shown it, then all of a sudden, all this attention came around how to conserve the penguin. How can we protect mm-hmm. them? How? What can we do? And now, you know, you watch a documentary series about anywhere you know where a penguin might be residing and they will 100% talk about penguins because they know how wonderful and charming they are Mm -hmm. exactly exactly and this is that's this is the thing I started this podcast and named it after an animal that was underappreciated and not many people knew about and now look at them they've (laughs) they've gone off without me they've become successful and I'm left stuck here with a name that they're (laughs) no but that's on it they do still need protection. That was a joke. Please go and do research on pangolins and still support them. They are not doing as well as I was making out there, but they are doing a lot better than uh, than you you would um, you would have expected. I think um, just a few years ago, given or they're at least doing well in terms of cultural awareness yes. um, and people knowing what they are. Yes, maybe um, not the best media strategy I would have picked, but you know, yeah. or a pangolin, but. <laughs> yes, uh, not ideal, but it got them attention. Yes. Um, but actually, something you brought up there, and I think is another bonus of of art and communicating conservation through art, is that kind of when you're talking about looking for articles and looking for information. And something I'm finding more and more is that unless you are signed up to something, a very expensive journal or a very expensive this, it's hard to get access to accurate or or any kind of information easily so by having art to transfer art is free to everyone can appreciate a picture on instagram everyone can share a picture on instagram or do whatever and read a post and do these things so it's it's nice to have these ways as long as you're if anyone's thinking about posting about conservation as long as you're posting accurate things i think it's it's an excellent way of getting information about and another bonus to doing it in kind of an artwork uh, form is that you've got this image you've got this information and it's all free and easily accessible for people to look at exactly um, so yes another another bonus um but yes that before we i feel like every question like i've written these questions down and we're talking about them in such depth i'm really enjoy it like i want to stay on each question for the whole interview but i'm going to force myself to move on because i feel like this next question could be quite a long one as well which is i wanted to ask about when you're talking about kind of animals and you're talking we've talked about kind of you like to focus on the strange what are some of your other favorite underappreciated strange animals? Maybe you've created art of them, but maybe ones you haven't created art of. What are the ones that stick out in your mind as being underappreciated and that you really, really love? This is this is where I'm going to ramble on now, and you're going to be like, "Okay, <laughs> I'll just leave. I'll just leave you talking. I'm going to go and do do my washing <laughs> downstairs." Yeah, power jack. Gosh, oh, where do I begin? Um, Australian animals. I mean, obviously, I have family in Australia, so I have a particular. Um, love and appreciation for them but i love um tasmanian devils the cutest little things with the sweetest i i have this um weakness for anything that's got like a bit of a wiggly nose anything any like Mm -hmm. marsupial or mammal that has a bit of like a twitchy nose i am i will stare at it for hours on end (laughs) but tasmanian devils are one of my favorites um i love goodfellas tree kangaroos i think they're Mm -hmm. amazing um and i saw one actually i saw my first one in chester zoo and i remember being there and I think it was quite recently after they had just gotten it or it had just had a baby, something had happened. I think it was quite recently after they had just gotten it a few years back. And this woman behind me was also walking to the same enclosure and she was saying to her friend, oh, this is a new exhibit. And she was really excited to see the tree kangaroos um, mm. because she had seen them on 
of course, their very famous TV show. Um, so yeah, I, I, anything, I mean, platypus, I, I particularly love anything that looks like it should be really like sweet and harmless, but actually is like venomous or has something that's like you would not expect from it. So I really love quolls, for example. They're an Australian marsupial. They're carnivorous. But you look at them and they look so adorable. These little like spotty things with these little faces that you know, they're a little bit like a, a cross between a wallaby and a quokka. And, okay. and just like the and, and a Tasmanian devil. If you, if you imagine the three of them all kind of came together and made a quoll. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they look so cute and so ador- adorable, but are extremely dangerous, <laughs> you know. And um, solenodons, which I'm sure I've butchered the name of completely, but they are. Um, I actually discovered them through a David Attenborough article about animals that he would keep on his ark, like his ten favorite animals that he keep on his mm-hmm. on his ark. And they are amazing. There's these. They're these little like like animals um, that are found in I think Haiti and um, Cuba and they're venomous and but they again look so innocent and sweet until you just discover that actually if they bite you you're going to be in a lot of serious trouble yep <laughs> um, but yeah I, mean, I, I really could I, re- I, I actually do have a list in front of me and I really could just go on for days I mean um, tamarins love tamarins love a yes. little monkey mm-hmm. um I I got to see some jumping around having uh, lunch at a zoo just before uh, everything happened with COVID and just was absolutely enthralled with them like, jumping through trees and mm-hmm. so, so adorable. I love red river hogs. I think a lot of these animals, you can actually see a lot of them in zoos, but they tend to get overlooked for things like the tigers or the penguins or the giraffes or the elephants. And don't get me wrong. I love all those animals as well. Happily, mm-hmm. happily draw tigers for the rest of my life. If, you know, <laughs> if it mm-hmm. came down to it, but people sort of see a red river hog and they think, Oh, it's just a pig. And it's like, Oh, but it's so much more than that. You know, mm-hmm. they're so incredibly intelligent and amazing and just incredible, incredible little animals. Um, yeah. I'm going to stop there because otherwise I really am going to go. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm loving hearing about it. No, because I, I, I agree. There are these things that, like, you walk past in a zoo and you think, oh, there's a, there's a monkey. And people just call it a monkey. They never bother to learn its name. They never bother to learn the type because they're just like, oh, it's a monkey. That's cute. Whatever. Move yeah. on. But there's so much to stand. If you watch each of these animals, if you watch the, the air quotes monkey, you watch the air quotes pig, there's so much personality and character and so much to love about them, so much interesting information to learn from them, so much kind of... Yeah, so much conservation value. Th- some of the animals that you think are kind of maybe under, maybe boring, or maybe you're not excited by, or maybe just a glance as you pass by them, or you're not excited. They're actually some of the ones that I think are the most exciting and interesting and you should really focus on. Exactly. And, and if you go to the zoo, before this wave hits everyone that all these animals are cool, they're the animals you get the best view of and you get to spend, like, everyone will crowd around a tiger exhibit to try and see the tiger. But if you get some one-on-one time because no one's looking at red river hogs and you're just stood there peacefully looking at these things, it's some of the best experiences you're ever going to get because you're like, this is, like, you get this moment to connect with this strange little pig uh, creature that's just completely charming. It's, yeah, and... um uh, yeah, and I like the Australia representation because it's a continent we've not really touched on the podcast before because we had an interview recently with um, Deborah Tabart of the Australian Koala Foundation and she told us all about those. And yeah, there's all sorts of incredible charismatic animals there, but the weirder little things we've not really touched on. So it was nice to know your favourites. I think, yeah, Tasmanian devils are a favourite. We've recently been watching um, Crikey, It's the Irwins and <laughs> Love I just... It's made me fall in love with Tasmanian devils because they just seem a bit mental, but also very cute. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly the energy that I I like to see in my animals. Just slightly chaotic, but also fantastic. Pure Um, chaos. Pure chaos. I I had the great fortune recently. Well, I I keep saying recently because it feels so recent. But of course, it was 2019 before everything happened. But um, I went to Australia with my husband to go visit my family and we went to uh one one of the zoos they're one of the smaller ones and they had tasmanian devils and they were sleeping 
and we kind of looked at them for a little while and I thought maybe they'll wake up and they were like no no they're definitely sleeping they're not going to go and I said okay we'll circle back around later and see whether or not they're a little bit more active and as soon as we walked away I saw the keeper coming towards us and it turns out that it was just about to be their feeding time Mm -hmm. and as soon as the keeper was like they could hear the bowl these little critters like jumped up it was almost like they had been fake sleeping because they didn't want to be disturbed by the public (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and, they were just their, and they were just waiting for their lunch and um got up and sort of came up to the the edge of the enclosure so that we could see them and were like looking up at us and i just remember looking down at this little tasmanian devil who was looking up at me desperately hoping that i was going to feed at something um but of course i wasn't about to and it was just one of the most incredible animal experiences i've had in such a long time you know this seeing them interacting and seeing them running around and and they are pure balls of chaos um but so charming and lovely and again so underrepresented but i'm sure that so many of your listeners will go oh yeah i've heard of the tasmanian devil Mm -hmm. it's just one of those animals that you don't automatically think of when you Mm -hmm. get asked what your favorite animal is you know it's always kind of the big the big five i would say you know whales tigers giraffes elephants um you know and these little these little creatures which deserve just as much love you know we know about but because they're not in our consciousness and not shown to us on a regular basis we forget that they exist and i think that's a real shame Mm. and i think that's actually that last point that you made is reminding me of two things that i like i wanted that i can bring up is that the interesting thing about tasmanian devils as well is that they are they're everyone can think of them but they can't like they know the name but they don't know the what they, if you were to describe a Tasmanian devil to me, the, no, a number of people would probably just be like, no idea, no, yeah. not even know where to start. But if you look them up, they are, they're so interesting. And there is, for the science-y focused people who are interested in kind of like really complicated scientific issues and to do with conservation, they have really interesting conservation issues and problems that need to be solved. So things like, I remember reading somewhere recently that they have, there was an issue where they were having all all of like these outbreaks of growths on their faces like uh, within the population and so they had to breed and it like as a closed kind of group away from the ones that were getting these growths to try and repopulate areas where with tasmanian devils that didn't have these strange kind of cancerous lumps on their faces yeah so there is like there's these there's always this we have this base level appreciation of like they're chaotic and cute but also there's these interesting stories there that you can delve into and learn so much from and i yeah i I need to look that up actually because it's one of those things that i i read it a while ago and now i'm kind of like i, I didn't get the end to that story and i'd like to go with, with with conservation i don't think there's ever really an end but i'd like to know the next chapter of that story and how that project's developing because it's so it's interesting with these things it just goes to prove everyone that you, you need to go and look up things and keep track of them um and the other thing that it brought up with you talking about them all running towards the fence is that i feel like you need to do an entire range of cassowary art because the number of times i've been walking through edinburgh zoo and a cassowary has run at a fence at me like thinking i have food because i've got like a edinburgh zoo colored top on or whatever it is i'm like like i and it's terrifying I love them. So uh, that would be, if while we're talking about things running towards fences, it's reminded me, my pitch to you would be an entire range of cassowary pieces I, and also I, Australian, that area. There you go. So <laughs> a, whole, a whole section, a whole, a whole, that, that, that's my next two years of, uh, of product yeah. orders sorted. <laughs> um, I actually do have a cassowary sticker do which you? Is coming out. Um, I'm just waiting for it to be shipped to me. So um, once it comes out, I will let you know and I will send you one. Um, but <laughs> Um, I love cassowaries. <laughs> I have such I have such a special place in my heart for them. Actually, one of the greatest regrets that I have is that um for uh for my honeymoon, my husband and I went to Australia and we went to the Great Barrier Reef. So we did all the snorkeling and we saw humpback whales and we saw turtles and we saw all this amazing sea life and it was fantastic. And we specifically went to um this one area in Australia where you can either go sort of you sort of turn left to go to the ocean or you turn right mm-hmm. to go to the rainforest and we had an opportunity to go and look for cassowaries in the rainforest and I didn't take up the opportunity and I regret it with every fiber <laughs> of my being <laughs> they are one of my favorite birds of all time um I love I love a, a 
you know, a bit of an unusual bird. I love a secretary bird. I love a cassowary. Um, you know, I just, I just think that they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I need, because I've had, I've, I keep bringing them up on the show because I'm like, anyone who briefly mentions anything to do with roughly anything that could be associated with a cassowary, I'm like, let's talk about them because I just, they are, they're, I think they might be in the running from like, because there's all these little birds that are very dainty and fly around and do all these, they're very pretty and they make beautiful songs. But the real star in my mind of the the show, I think the cassowary is either the heaviest, second heaviest bird after an ostrich. It's huge. They're fantastic. They're blue and red. They have like these big massive. They're just incredible. Um, and so yes, any opportunity to bring them up, I'm I'm getting in there. And yes, I I actually this is the thing. I I'm gonna be when the, as soon as those stickers go up, I'm gonna be ordering one because I've actually been waiting to place an order with you because I've just gotten a new laptop, and so I've been waiting because I need. I had all my stickers on my old case, and now this now I have had to because it's a new laptop, new case. I'm like, I got a plain black case so I can cover it with all sorts of weird and wonderful animals. So I've been waiting, and but now is the time. Now is the time. I'll give as me, soon as they're up. Give me a couple of weeks, and I'll I'll give you a shout once. <laughs> but you Perfect. talking about that just made me realize as well. Actually, I have this massive affinity for birds with like long stomping feet because <laughs> secretary birds. <laughs> cassowaries i love an emu um i think one of my favorite australia stories is the emu wars uh which happened way back and oh my goodness uh do you not know about the emu wars? i don't know about the emu wars this is a complete segue from anything (laughs) it's one of my favorite stories of all time um it was back when they were settling australia um when the the Europeans had gone over to go and settle Australia and they had gone over to Western Australia and they were trying to grow crops, but they were finding that the emus were eating all their crops before they could grow them. Uh-huh. So the the kind of new mayor of this town, um, who I believe was either British or American, I can't remember, he um, wrote to the government and said uh, he wanted to buy some guns because he had been in the army and he said, I want to shoot some emus so that you know, we can grow these crops because otherwise we're all going to die out here. And the government at that time, you know, back in the 1700s or whenever it was, said, yeah, sure. And they sent them some guns. And the the people of this town <laughs> waged war <laughs> on the emus <laughs> and they went after them. And there were a few casualties on both sides, I would like to add. The emus put up a good fight for themselves, um, but the people couldn't reload the guns fast enough. And so they just kind of got pecked and trampled to death and in the end the emus actually won the humans had to back off and say actually this is emu territory and you know we're gonna we're gonna let you do what it is that you need to do and we're gonna go and plant our crop somewhere else and that was a smart smart choice because yes i have yeah there's something about a big bird that like you'd think oh it's just a ditzy oh it's whatever it is because you get bird brains and all these phrases that are associated with whatever it is and then get paints them in one way but i would not no no and like yeah especially i was just googling while you were telling that story i was listening but i was also googling because you were telling like you'd reminded me of another species that i the the extinct the moa the massive yeah. like bird with these massive like I saw the reason it came into my head is because we were talking about these stompy birds like I had um I went to the museum recently the over in Edinburgh and they have a skeleton and it's the biggest feat aside from like on a skeleton of a dinosaur I think I've ever seen like it's they're fantastic so there's another animal for everyone to look up that, that they won't know whatever it is um and if you ever do an extinct animals range the moa there is number one. Oh, right up there right up there <laughs> no that's fantastic i think that's an, a perfectly relevant diversion from what we were going to talk about because i feel like any, any excuse to bring up weird wonderful birds is we should take it Absolutely. um but no that's fantastic um so yeah it, and it kind of i guess leads Nicely on to my my last question. It's less of a smooth segue, but I'm going to say it's a good segue, um, which is, I, I can't believe it. We're getting towards the end, towards the last kind of couple questions. And I always like to ask, if you have a piece of advice for someone, we've kind of talked passionately about art. We've talked passionately about strange animals. We've talked passionately about specifically big, stompy birds. But if you had a piece of advice that you wanted someone to take away from all of that chaotic up and down, whatever we were talking about, what would your advice be to someone who has maybe listened to this and is feeling inspired by any of these conversations? What would you want them to to take away? I think I, what I'd love for people to take away from this is that 
anyone can get into conservation Mm -hmm. and it's important for all of us to get into conservation and again like I said I'm not sciencey I did not study any of this at school or university or anything like that Mm -hmm. um but to be able to make a difference is such a wonderful feeling and you can do that by supporting your you know your local botanical gardens or your local Mm -hmm. parks or your local wetland centers they all feed into this bigger picture of conservation and they all make an impact. And I think one of the great shames um, of living here in the UK is that I don't feel like people here really appreciate the local uh, animals and the local biodiversity that's available here. And I feel like that needs to change. We need to appreciate and love. And that's very much me coming from the Australian perspective because Australians love their animals. They love their wild wacky you know you know bizarre looking animals that Mm -hmm. don't shouldn't make sense but still do um and they will talk about them forever and i feel like we need to bring some of that into the uk as well so you know find an animal if it's one particular animal if you're really passionate about badgers or water voles or um i think they just reintroduced bison into the uk um which is incredible you know go and see what you can do to help them and and you'd be surprised at actually how many skills will be transferable and how many how many ways in which you can help. Even if it's you standing there selling pin badges, you know, a couple of times a week at the train stations in London. All of it makes a difference. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's fantastic. And it's such good advice. And yeah, if you're good at art, get involved in art if you're good at kind of chatting like i like i feel like i'm good at chatting to people do some talking spread your word that way and it's something that i feel like if you haven't listened to previous episodes listeners um some of them like even the science side sometimes says that they struggle like i've talked to the leading scientists in their field and they've been like we we can do all the research, but we need people who can do the communication side. So use your passions and use whatever it is you're good at in creative or clever or whatever ways. And like, yeah, I my day job is working for a botanic garden. But within the botanic garden, I do um, learning technology. So I use my knowledge of cameras and filmmaking and editing and website design and website management and stuff like that like so you can really use any skill set to to get involved and i think that's fantastic fantastic advice um i guess that's a a perfect note to to start wrapping up on um but the final thing obviously i want to ask and especially in your case i I feel like we talked about some of the products throughout but if people are interested we kind of dropped hints about pins and stickers and stationery and stuff but what can people do to kind of support you and therefore support charity? What kind of products can they get from you? Where can they get them? What kind of, this is the self-promo time. So talk about whatever you want to talk about to to those people. <laughs> this is the self-promo time. Um, so I have my own uh, online website, which is hacklingmix.com. You can also find me on Etsy. I've got a limited product line there. I also do a lot of markets. So if you are in London um, and I have a list on my website, a little events page where you can, come and see and meet me in person and we will talk about big stompy birds <laughs> i will probably never let you leave the table um but i sell enamel pins and i sell uh vinyl stickers which are pvc free so they're a little bit more environmentally friendly and i try and keep everything as environmentally friendly as i possibly can um and also keep everything with i i try and create things which are going to be lasting and cherished and you know passed down through the ages um that's my goal I don't want anything to be you know thrown away after a couple of years or anything like that so enamel pins I do button badges I do vinyl stickers I do sticker sheets I do washi tape um I do a whole range of various stationary things and you can find me on Instagram that's where I am most of the time um or on TikTok if you are more video inclined um or on Twitter which I sadly neglect a lot of the time but if you DM me on there I will absolutely see it and respond to you (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect and I'll put links to all of those in the description for this episode so if you haven't looked already while we've been chatting go and look now go and follow go and support go and maybe buy even if you're not buying for yourself treat someone else in your life to a sticker or a badge or whatever it is if you've got birthdays coming up or whatever treat yourself or someone else to these things and yeah you are supporting converse conversation conservation you've supported a very long conversation by listening to this you're supporting conservation by uh um, doing that as well so yes the links for all of that will be in the description for the episode um and yes 
the links while you're down there for all of my social media um the podcast social media everything will be down there as well we're at pangolin podcast on twitter instagram facebook we're on linkedin um we're on pretty much anywhere you can like or follow or do whatever search for us you'll probably find us also you can subscribe if you feel like it on your podcast streaming service of choice we're on apple Podcasts, spotify breaker google podcasts amazon music now i think we're everywhere so just like subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes and if you're feeling very very kind you could leave us a review i'm not going to tell you what to to do but if you left us a five-star review i would love you forever and ever so if you could do that that would be very much appreciated as well um and yes i guess that brings us to the end so I guess all I have to say really is thank you listeners so much for listening and supporting the show and for supporting if they've come from uh, from your end, Tash, for, for supporting Tash as well. Um, and of course, thank you so much, Tash, for your time and for your insights and for talking about big stompy birds with me um, and art and all sorts of fantastic things. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to make a pin of that now, aren't I? Big stompy birds fan club. Yes. Well, I have noticed on your website, you've got gifts for like dolphin lovers or whale lovers or whatever. So you need pins for or gifts for big stompy bird lovers. And then that's perfect. Uh, (laughs) So, yes, on that note, before we ramble even more about these amazing animals, uh, thank you, everyone. And until next time, goodbye.